Welcome to the playground. My name is Eddie Flewellen. This is the playground where the players play, and I'm your host again, Eddie Flewellen. And my guest today, Reggie Calloway of the legendary, iconic group Midnight Star, you know, co-founder, leader of the group Midnight Star. And we'll talk about like all those hits a little bit later, because I mean, there is a slew of them. Um, Reggie would later go on to form Callaway with his brother, you know, and we'll talk about those hits there too. But meanwhile, Reggie, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Eddie. Nice to be where the players play. <laughs> <laughs> and this, and you're a player, definitely. And now, first of all, before we go, first of all, how are you, how are you doing? You, you good? Doing, doing well, doing well. Good, good. Exciting to be uh, fully vaccinated, you know, so that I can... Well, you actually uh, freshen up a little bit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been a rough year of lockdown. I was just going to ask you, how was this you. last? How was this year for you? How was this last year for you? It was, uh, you know, I always work from home, so that part didn't change a lot. But, but uh, what would surprise you is you would, you know, you would say, okay, I'm coming from this appointment, uh, maybe at the doctor's office or whatever, or the grocery store. I think I'll stop by my favorite place and get breakfast. And you realize, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Right. I go to the movies like once a week, so I can't do that. You know? uh, mm -hmm. The grandkids, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, yeah, it, it gets to you, but uh, you know, if you go introspectively and try to think about what you can do to do those things you haven't been able to touch, but that are right there in your face, then uh, you focus on that, then you, you can get through. There you go. There you go. How have you kept motivated during the have you have you continued writing? Has that has that been? Uh, uh, I know because because as musicians, we're creative people. We, we that's just what we do. And when that's shut down, how have you kept motivated through through that? Real life things to to kind of motivate us. Um, I was writing uh, a book. I was finishing my first book. All right. Art of songwriting, and uh, and some tips you know songwriters can use, and uh, things to look for and to you know prevent uh, from kind of getting off track. But in the in the middle of the book, you know, then the election was getting ready to happen, mm -hmm. and we could see that the most important thing that we could do at that time was to encourage people to vote. So my brother and I uh, released a song and wrote a song called Politics that that came out, and uh, you know. This voting season was was a record high, so we take a little bit a little bit of credit, just a tiny little bit, you know. It's like mm -hmm. <laughs> just enough to say that that makes it one of the, one of our biggest records, you know, with so many people voting. So, okay, so, uh, that's a real life experience. And then, uh, you know, I have a new a new single out right now called Sabrina that we can talk about later. Yeah, so, yeah, beautiful. Music keeps playing, and uh, you know, even wrote more songs about uh, you know what we're going through. Uh, uh, one called Enough Is Enough. So one who it it seems to you think you missed that window to where okay uh, maybe people got it but then you realize every day in the news that the world still hasn't got it that that mm -hmm. enough is enough so mm. that song was still very relevant looking to uh, to release that one uh, very soon as well then my brother Vincent uh, has a jazz project coming out uh, and then we're getting ready for the next Callaway project which uh, you know looking to really uh, you know, go back to our, our roots on that with, with, the, with the funk and the techno funk and awesome the dance and the party and just uh, you know, say some messages around that you know uh, cool that, 
I got one song for for exercising and, and training. I can't tell you to say the title because somebody yeah. steals it and I'm lost. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, right. Be, be careful what you say. Somebody will beat you to yeah, the point. You, and you know, you know, yeah, it's, it's all in the ether. It's about who can grab it first. Right, right, right. You had mentioned those 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 songs that you and your brother are working on. Will they be released under Callaway or under your brother or you or how, how are they going to be released as artists? The uh, Sabrina is uh, off of Reggie Callaway's solo album, Bring Back the Love. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Vince was doing a jazz album under, under, under his See No Evil uh, brand. But then the Callaway project will be uh, Callaway following the path of, of uh, I Want to Be Rich and Freakazoid and all of those, awesome. all of those hits. Awesome, awesome, and 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 Reggie just named a couple of those Midnight Star, <laughs> major, major, major hits, <laughs> and you know, you know, of course, I had my groove on too when I could back in the day when I could move. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's what our new song is about. That I was telling you about the exercise song. That's to get uh -huh. us back to where we were. You know, uh, you may, you may, you can never maybe be as good as you were, but maybe you can be better. So mm -hmm. Got search for. Gotcha. I'm going to spring this on Reggie. Um, we were just talking about before we started the show, we were just talking about, you know, like our hair, Reggie was getting his hair together. And, all that. <laughs> and um, I didn't, I, Reggie didn't know that I was going to do this, but um, speaking, speaking of hair, uh, <laughs> let's see if we can get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, you know, I had this, this one song I wanted to do. Uh, uh, well, I won't tell them, you know, I was, when my hair was long and gray before I was able to go get it cut after getting vaccinated. <laughs> I tell everybody I'm, you know, I'm I'm doing my Morgan Freeman imitation, and uh, you know I got to be in, not the imitation, but I'm playing the role, so I got to stay in character. <laughs> but there was there was one song I wanted to do uh, my spiritual CD. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I wanted to do my music, you know, with that with that total gray hair everywhere, the big man, my big fro. Mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't I couldn't wait any longer. All <laughs> oh, right, gotcha. My 14th gotcha. day of, pro, of post vaccination, I said I'm going to get my hair done. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is a thing. Something. It does. It, it is a thing. It does get to you after a while, doesn't it? It's oh like, man! Oh, right. It's gone for a while. You're like, oh, this is just you know, because the first seven months I didn't comb my hair. I oh. let it drip. I let it do the whole thing. I didn't comb it or cut it. Yeah. And I found it cut because it was getting out of control. And then the last seven or eight months, you know, I didn't cut it again or color it or anything. You know, just mm -hmm. a lot natural. Oh, <laughs> look, you, look, you look good, brother. You look great. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, hey, um, I wanted to go back to like your beginning where, where I do with like with a lot of the musicians as far as like, you know, your early beginnings. Um, I did note that your your thing it was somewhat of a family affair. I mean, you know, you had a father that played your father played trumpet. Um, your um, aunt, she was the opera singer was that was your yes. aunt. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. And, and, and then there was somebody who let's see, uh, uncle who who had a keyboard who who, who was a keyboardist. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just very inspirational, and there wasn't a lot of that that went on, but but just enough. It's it's the the key moments when you hear those stories about the the ballerina that went to her first ballet, you know, at five years old, and then knew she wanted to be a ballerina from there on. You know, mm -hmm. those those moments are are priceless. That's why we have to expose our children to a, a lot of different things, and that's what education is supposed to be about. Thank you. It's not to teach them everything, but to expose them to a lot of things so that they can choose which ones they migrate to. You know, in the uh, in the in the martial arts and the, the, the Eastern philosophies, you know, they would with the Dalai Lama, they put out different toys and different things and see mm -hmm. where the, where the child migrated right. to. There's right. so much truth into that. <clears throat> so with with the music, you know, just uh, my father played trumpet in high school, but he never played, you know, after that. 
and, and the, but whenever we'd go to my grandparents' house, his trumpet, his cornet was there, which is a small, small the cornet. Yep. And uh, and he would pull it out <clears throat> and play a few notes for us, and then let us try to blow the horn. And uh, I was just my brother and I. We both play trumpet, and he plays also trombone. Yeah, but yeah. Which, really, which, 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 by the way, I just got to mention. Um, as far as your brother Vincent, um, I'm kind of partial to him being a trombone player myself. So, just so I just want to get that out there. All right, all right, <laughs> yeah. So, so trombone is my second instrument. So you know, Vincent, I was like, yeah, okay, we're, we're there, we're there. So, <laughs> shout out to Vincent, your brother, by the way. I'll do that. I'll do that. Absolutely. But it's like the the smell of the case, valve mm -hmm. oil. You remember those from the childhood? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Remember it comes that. back to you. Yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> I, I grew up uh, wanting to sing, and um, oh wow! Once I moved to Cincinnati, you know, I joined the uh, the choir there. Of course, I was singing on the street corners in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, in Southwood mm -hmm. Projects mm -hmm. as a little as a little time, uh -huh. you know, singing do 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 cover. That was everybody's song. That was everybody's brick house back in the day. Yeah, a wake up voice. Uh, but but uh, but then when I didn't make the All City Boys Choir, what? And I stopped singing. It was like in the you know in the sixth grade. I was like, oh, mm. wow, I thought I was you know gonna be pretty good. But they gave the the war to uh, Fred Hirsch, who was a uh, a child prodigy pianist. Mm -hmm. And Fred was was our accompanist. He could play anything, sight read anything. He had to sit on two telephone books in order to accompany the, the elementary school choir. Fred went on to become one of the greatest uh, uh, jazz pianists of our time. Wow. Uh, and, he, and he's still with us. So, so I, I wasn't knocking Fred, but I was like, okay, so going to junior high school, uh, you know, I decided to, to play an instrument. And so the first instrument that came to my mind was that smell and that horn, that my father, that trumpet. Uh -huh. And the, the trumpet took me through high school and, and I eventually became, uh, made the all city orchestra as, as opposed to the all city boys choir oh, okay. so, I, so i reached that goal and okay. uh, set first chair trumpet in the all city uh, orchestra and decided awesome. to uh, go on the road with my band at that time which was uh, the, the md far department which but, was uh, the what it was called md far department out of cincinnati ohio out of cincinnati okay yeah and then uh at the end of that that first tour i said i gotta go to college so that trumpet took me from junior high school, through college, through scholarships, to okay. coming Midnight Star, to, to doing uh, so many things that we did, and to learn to compose and uh -huh. uh, you know arrange music. So that was a, a great uh, change that, that broadened my whole musical scope, as mm -hmm. opposed to just being a singer. Gotcha, gotcha. So even in the beginning, I mean, you, you mentioned like your, your dad's cornet, you know, when you, when you were little, it, it wasn't immediate. I mean, the trumpet came a, a few years later. Yes, yes. It wasn't until, uh, I mean, those days were, you know, elementary school and pre-elementary school, and it wasn't until the seventh grade that actually, uh, I wanted to play guitar, and I go by the pawn shop, and I look in the window, and I see that guitar, and I just wanted it so bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it didn't fit into our family budget. Uh -huh. We couldn't really afford it, and uh, if, if I had actually priced it out, I probably could have saved a pop bottle caps until I got there. But, <laughs> right, right. But, but upon going to the seventh grade, you know, I said, I want to play an instrument. I want to play trumpet. And my mother said, well, I'll, I'll get you a horn 
you know, because I think if you in the, but you had to be in the band in the you know in the school band because mm. if you're in the band I figured you won't just quit because most kids they you know I want this I want that I want and then they mm -hmm. then they quit mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, after a, a few months and that horn sitting there looking pretty right right, right. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. but she, but she rented my first horn uh, my my cousin helped to pay for it so. Uh, so that rental turned into the first purchase and then uh, you know, the second horn and the third horn. Nice. Still want, still want a new horn. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I got to ask you, you, you now is, is flute, I guess flute would then be your second instrument. Yes. And, uh, and the piano pianos up in the well, piano. I never, never had lessons or anything, mm -hmm. but flute, I taught myself the flute as well. I wanted to add another instrument, uh, another wind instrument to my repertoire and, uh, you know, saxophones got this wooden reed that you put in your mouth, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, that, that wooden reed against this trumpet mouthpiece, that's those are not going to work together. Okay. So okay. Flute, you can just lay it, you know, against your lip, and it's a okay. similar similar armature. So I, I taught myself to play the flute. Uh, I drove my high school friends crazy. We were going on, on a, a college trip to Atlanta to visit all the colleges. And I got my flute. I said, I'm going to, by the time we get back from this bus from, from Cincinnati to Atlanta and back, I'm going to learn how to play the flute. Wow. And is that, is that how it worked out? Did you, did you... That's how it worked out. I'm on the bus playing the flute. And the beat. Wow. I mean, we gave you know, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, the simpler the melody, the more relaxing it is for the, everybody uh -huh. listening to it. So uh -huh. I got back and said, okay, the flute is my, I, I kind of know how to play this thing a little bit. And then I took a few lessons once I got to college, uh, mm -hmm. my jazz ensemble. Teacher was a fantastic woman, David Anderson. And I always said I played ghetto flute, meaning I had no training and I did not want to sound pure like the pure okay. flute is. I wanted uh -huh. to be like the dad's right. dad flute. And, and, you know, I wanted that, that, right. that funk. So uh -huh. I didn't want to learn too much, but I said, Could you give me a few pointers? And I realized I was playing all wrong the whole time. Of course, of course. <laughs> right, right, right. So he straightened right. me out uh -huh. on a few uh -huh. things. Uh -huh. so now, now I got my ghetto ghetto plus flute. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned that because 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 as we know, I mean the, the flute is in the Woodwood family and the trumpet is in the brass family, and and most people keep it all in the family, right? right? <laughs> yeah, right. So you're like, okay, trumpet here and then flute there. It's like, okay, and I was wondering, okay, how you made that connection? And you said you don't, you're not a sax, you know, you don't. Yeah, this with trumpet, trombone, uh, but he, mm -hmm. he right. this one also plays sax and cello and. Oh, so he's 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 and he plays left-handed and right-handed, so he's just a, a, a oh. freak of nature. But you okay. know, there's a few guys that can play those double inst brass instruments because mm -hmm. there are people who don't know the trumpet mouthpiece is pretty small, and, and the right. trombone mouthpiece is you know way bigger, and two mouthpiece is way bigger than that. So right. those different amateurs to make those mm -hmm. transitions. And there's a couple of guys that do it. A trombone shorty does it amazingly oh, well. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I was I I started out playing piano, and then my second instrument was trombone. But it started with the tuba, you know. So it started like you said with that giant size mouthpiece, and then it got yes. smaller with the trombone. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna okay, I got I could do this. I'm gonna let me do trumpet. And that trumpet mouthpiece was like like nah, uh 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 uh. Then and you, being, you put being, a French horn, put a French horn up to that, oh, and you yeah. really like. I, I cannot play a French horn, nor do right. I have desire to. <laughs> right, right. And then the concept of, of just, you know, the, th the three, uh, oh shoot. Vowels. Thank you. Vowels. I was gonna say That's three right. keys, no, it's not key. Yeah, the three vowels there, as opposed to like the 88 keys, you know, I'm like, okay. So you mean I gotta get like all those notes with just these three? Nah. Uh, <laughs> and plus it's turned my mouth anyway from the trombone. So I'll just, right. leave, that, I'll leave that to you. 
<laughs> awesome, awesome. So, so um, you, you for you, you, the the group that you had, the MD, I forgot. MD Fire Department. Okay, MD Fire Department. You transitioned. How long was the transition from that to Midnight Star, and what? How did that? How did that whole concept come about? Okay, so uh, you know, in Cincinnati was 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 very rich with music. Mm, yeah, time. I know the talent shows and mm -hmm. college jamboree. Let me so ask you: Do you think that was just? Do you think that was an Ohio thing? Being from Akron, do you think you know? Uh, you know, Cincinnati, Dayton, you know, Akron, Cleveland. It was just. It was just rich there. I mean, it, it was everywhere. I mean, not when I say everywhere. I mean there was other pockets, mm -hmm. you know, Memphis, and uh, ah, true, very true. Detroit, of course. I, I lost Chicago, you. Re Chicago. Repeat what you just said. I, I lost you for a minute there. What you just said. I was just saying Detroit, Chicago, Memphis. There were other pockets that that uh, you know had a similar thing going on, but uh, but but I think in funk, when you talk about funk music, then it uh, you know Ohio was super rich mm -hmm. in, in that area, mm -hmm. and, uh, and just just R and B overall. So because you know we were exposed to James Brown recorded you know, most of his hits in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. Mm -hmm. So uh, James would do a, a 99 cent concert for the kids every Easter. Mm -hmm. You'll see James Brown, full, full band, 99 cent costumes. Mm -hmm. He didn't discount the mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. He just discounted things <laughs> for the kids. And, uh -huh. and uh, to be exposed to that and to see a live band of that quality. And that was before Bootsy joined the band. Like Bootsy's from right. Cincinnati. Then, right. then Bootsy and Phelps joined the band with, for, the, for the next generation of James Brown. Uh, so that took it to another level. We used to go see Bootsy, you know, watch him practice and you know, sit on the wow. doorstep and you know, talk to his mother and you know, and just see cats playing, you know, real instruments and trying to make something happen. And then once they made it, then everybody you could say, well, if this is possible, mm -hmm. we can make it too. So my first real band was was the Motown Masters, uh, and then then MD Fire Department. So in the MD Fire Department, I, I left high school early to go on the road with the group. As I was the president of the senior class and I didn't want to leave before prom and graduation, but it was like a, a once in a lifetime thing. Because uh, we, we, were, we were going, trying to make it. We were going, we were looking for gold and we were right, headed to California right. from Cincinnati. Right, exactly. Right. Asked my mother, right. could, I, could I go? And she was like, well, of course you can go. You, know, you have to take care of your things you have to take care of here. But uh, so we toured every hole in the wall uh, from Cincinnati to Las Vegas was our last stop. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. After Vegas, that's when I said, um, I better go to college because what I know about music is, is not enough to get to where I want to go to. I mean, we're a really good band, but uh, to be great, you know, you want to you want to have more weapons, more, more arsenal. Awesome. Sly Stone had a song I called In Time. Mm -hmm. And that was the most contrapuntal funk I've ever heard in my life, meaning that <laughs> Notes were here, notes were there, but it all fit together mm -hmm. like one mm -hmm. big gel. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how does he do right. that? Mm -hmm. I decided mm -hmm. to go to college and uh, went to uh, went back home and auditioned at Indiana University in a few places and uh, didn't get picked up right away. But then I got a call from Kentucky State University from the band director, Mr. Raymond P. Jordan, just recently uh, deceased, and my my band director. Uh, Mr. Turner had made the connection. So Mr. George said, how, how was I to come to Kentucky State? You know, we're playing my band, the marching band and the orchestra, you know. 
and we had scholarships for you. You know, I'm like, nice. wow. my mother had my mother had gone to Kentucky State because we're from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, prior to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and she, so it was like going home. It was it was far far enough away, but close enough, mm-hmm. and being you know a uh, traditionally African American university, mm-hmm. you know, having that kind of vibe. You know, not going to some big super school where you just want a little tiny, uh, you know, person in this big maze it was a place to develop, and that's where uh, you know, of course, I met most of the members of Midnight Star. And, oh, okay. Uh, and so, and at 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 college. Yeah, college, right? Okay. Yeah, so that uh, that first year, I joined a group there called the Funkify, which was like the college funk band. <laughs> I, I met some great guys, uh, Bill Simmons and Wenzel Stewart. And, oh, and, wow! Wow! Okay. We just had a ball. Uh, and then every, and that still wasn't enough because we were still playing, you know, 99% cover songs. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write songs and, uh, you know, I knew that was very important to be original in order to, uh, to make it in this business. Wow, okay. So, so my brothers and I formed a, our jazz group called Sunshine and that became uh, my experimental group you know, for writing uh, uh, not only jazz music, but uh, Sort of jazz fusion and experimenting with different time signatures, different uh, keys, different chord uh, progressions, and just mm-hmm. really just just seeing what would happen. You know? Right. And, and we became um, very very popular in the Cincinnati area uh, at this jazz club called the Viking Lounge, which is the place where all the greats came when they came to Cincinnati, passing through. They would play the Viking Lounge. Man. So we had the honor of of being the backup band for the legendary Sonny Stitt. Oh, as college, as college wow. students, we were his backup band for two two weeks because we used to pack the pack the place out. I mean, oh yeah, you can imagine like college students yeah. mm-hmm. being in a jazz club, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's that just that young vibe. And the mm-hmm. owner was like, "We got to mix this together." Right. So, right. So we Sunny behind behind Sunny Stitt. Behind Sunny Stitt, I learned a ton of stuff from him, including uh, self meditation, which is one of the things he wanted to, tr- to transfer to me, uh, and uh, which is comes in very handy when it's time to focus. Mm-hmm. But during that time, uh, I met a contact that uh, wanted to do a showcase for us in New York. Uh, she loved the band so much. Consequently, the band broke up. Two of the guys that weren't my brothers, because my brothers, they, we can't break up, we brothers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was Vincent, Greg, and then Johnny and Pete. Johnny and Pete, you know, they, uh-huh. didn't, they didn't want to go any further. They wanted to try a different direction. Mm-hmm. So Sunshine broke up and that, that was like an on and off you know, summer's sunshine, uh, school season funkified, you know, marching mm-hmm. band, jazz ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm tired of this on and off thing. This fall, when I go back to school, I want to put together the greatest group in the world, or one of the greatest groups in the world. Wow, wow. Just that's like, how I mean, you had that focus. I mean, you had that drive yeah. even then. Yeah, that's how Midnight Star started. So I, I started with, uh, with Bill Simmons, who also played with me in Sunshine and Funkified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we added uh, Jeff Cooper, Kenneth Gant, London Lipscomb, uh, incredible singer, and, mm-hmm. and, and Bo, Bo Watson, uh, some freshmen. The freshman class came in, Bo Watson and, and Melvin Gentry. Uh, I said, Bo, I would like to join the band. Bo said, yeah, I joined the band. The next day he says, you had to change my mind. I can't do it. Because me and my homeboy said we would always be in a band together. And I'm like, what does he play? He plays guitar, bass, drums, and sings. Oh. I said, let's check him out. He might be, he might be coming <laughs> for the band, let's go. <laughs> Here comes Bo and Melvin, and uh, uh-huh. we, we take off. We take off from there. And then uh, Vincent joined the group uh, a, a couple of months later, as we were preparing to start our, our demos and you know that whole thing. 
Mm -hmm. We eventually did that showcase in New, in New York with that same person who, who I met through Sunshine. Wow. And uh, there were some executives there that uh, Ron Mosley, Richard Aaron, that sent our, our message to Dick Griffey of Solar Records. Nice. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Dick Griffey nice. signed us and, uh, and, and the beat goes on. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, the inspiration behind the name Midnight Star. Every, every band needs a, a name, right? So you, it's, it's always that that moment was like, okay, what are we going to call ourselves? <laughs> but, but we were very, very, uh, you know, high on Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, ah. Funkadelic, we were very high on the uh, the, the, the space future mm -hmm. aspect of, of going places that, that no one had ever gone. And uh, so on that that night, you know, sitting in the dormitory on, on the bed, uh, we rehearsed in the dormitory. Oh, wow. What, all, all those people? All, all of us rehearsing in my room. What? Right, we, could, uh, we, we developed With a horns. technique. The horns, everybody. Oh. We developed a technique called telephone volume. That uh -huh. means if we thought if we thought the dean was coming by, then we would play so soft that you would think it was a radio. <laughs> and if, you, so, if, you, if, you, if you're playing good, uh -huh. nobody's saying that. But if you mess up, right, <laughs> they're right. going to catch you. <laughs> so, so, that early, so that early, you were working on dynamics then? Exactly. <laughs> As and, opposed uh, to everything being loud. Okay, down, down. Yeah, so we said that that evening, like, what we're going to call ourselves. And, uh, and Jeffrey Cooper came up with the idea of star. Mm -hmm. Everybody looked around and said, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, it's just a little, a little short. Uh, <laughs> just how, a little how about, short. Yeah, how about midnight star? And everybody went, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow. We didn't have to go any further. It wasn't like we had a 10,000 10, names to choose from. Right. It just happened right. just that Just quickly. like that. And then we coined the phrase, uh, if you can look into the darkness and see the light, then you too can be a midnight star. Okay, okay. Now, did you did you start, I assume you started writing, I mean, I mean, even before then, but as far as like the band, when did, when did the writing start like for, for the band? Or, you know, did you t take things from there and bring it to the band or did you like just start, okay, I gotta write some music here. How did, how did that work out? We started off playing a lot of cover songs because uh, we had to work. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody wants to come to uh, a, a dance. A da we, we could play dances. It wasn't wasn't no DJs. The band was <laughs> right. The, the right. DJs put right. the bands out of business, but right. <laughs> <laughs> so so the band had to be the DJ and mm -hmm. play the you know the, the hottest songs, as well as uh, you know we're in Kentucky. You know we we uh, we left uh, Kentucky State once we uh, all decided that this is what we're going for and moved to my uh, deceased grandparents' house and moved to Kentucky. My uncle and father made a way for us to take over the house rent free. We just had to pay the, the, the utilities and feed ourselves. Mm -hmm. so we, were, we were blessed beyond blessed. Because uh, you can imagine when you have a nine piece band, if you had nine different houses, that's a lot of money you got to make. That's a lot of money. To, to stay together. But right. if you're all in one place and it's free, um, mm -hmm. then uh, you know you can put everything back into getting new equipment and that whole thing. So we started playing a lot of uh, uh, cover songs, different. Uh, rock songs, funk songs, mm. wherever, because if, if, if we had to pay for this teenage uh, graduation over here party, then we had to have this music, we'd have to have that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were just super versatile. And then we would be getting that ease in um, original songs. Oh, okay. Uh, the early, early songs, we would we'd write a lot of them together. You know, all the writers would, uh, you know, contribute different parts and you know, guys would write different whole songs by themselves and we'd try them out and and see what was going because at this point it was time to uh, to do our first demo tape 
And on this demo tape, you know, we wanted to have uh, originals. So we began to write those. I think we, made, we did a couple of cover songs that we could use to promote ourselves for gigs. So that first demo, we sent to Motown and uh, Motown responded. It says, we like what you're doing. Come back in about two years. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> in two years? In two years, I would do anything to have my hands on that that letter. Right. And I don't think I don't think I burned it, but uh-huh. right, <laughs> but, right, right. I mean, that's uh, the way you felt, right? But, right, right. But it was it was so shocking. I mean, he could have said wow. come back in two months. No, he could have said come back next year. He said come back in two years. Wow, in two years. Wow. And, you know, the average band would be like, oh, we're out of here. We just right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you persevered. I mean, you you kept pushing. We, we persevered yeah. through that. And the irony of it was was he was right. Because two oh, really? years later, we two years later we signed the solar. Ah. <laughs> so, so he missed out. But yeah, I mean, it takes a while because you know when you when you think you have it, it was like we thought we were perfect. We just we just knew we had talent. We knew we mm-hmm. had uh, we, we knew there was hope. You know, there's at least to get in the door. Yeah, with a band or gelling, you know, and you have to learn how to record and you have to learn how to write songs. It is even a pro- our, you're even right. Even our earlier albums, you know, when I listen to them. I'm always correcting them. It's hard for me to listen to them because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna change that. I would have mm-hmm, fixed that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Went there. Why do we? Mm-hmm, why is mm-hmm. that so? What? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's right. why. That's why I'm writing my book to save people all those <laughs> a lot of those troubles. <laughs> gotcha. Because gotcha. There, there are stages because when you're developing, you know, you fall in love with certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love that part. You cut that out. You know, mm-hmm. the bands got mm-hmm. nine people saying, oh, "Don't cut my part. Don't cut my." Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> as a producer and as as a writer, you got you know. You have to uh, executive produce yourself. You have to A and R, which means artist and repertoire uh-huh. yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no when to say when. <laughs> yeah. So, so as far as like what when you start, you know, of course you're quite the prolific writer. I mean, you know, you got like a, a list of things. As far as like inspiration, how how is your process? What what do you do when you does it? Are you one of those that, okay, I just wait for the idea to come to me? Do you go in the room and start writing? What is your process as far as writing? That's the one thing that I pretty much don't ever do is just go in the room and start writing. Okay. I, I usually have something in mind. I mean, and I, I do that occasionally. And if I'm doing like a, a groove, a music track or, or a beat as the kids would call it, mm-hmm. then I, I may just go in the room and start start you know, writing and just doing it, you know, just let it. Let something happen, pick a tempo, pick a key, whatever. But for the most part, in writing in writing the hits, uh, I will generally have an idea, mm. and I keep a, a list of ideas so I never run out. So nice. when a person says I have writer's block, I'm like, what is that? You know, you, I can't get to all the songs. You know, I was talking to Babyface about that, another prolific writer, very that came through our camp and. Uh, you know, sometimes you just you want to write a hundred songs because just want to write, write, write. Mm-hmm. But you don't have time. You have to pick what you're going to finish uh, for any reason. It could be because it's about your mother. It could be because it's about the state of the world today. It could be just because I'm just having a ball today and I just want to talk about it. But you, you want to have some kind of purpose to get to the end of that song because at some point you got to finish it. Mm-hmm. You start on a hundred songs and you never finish any of them. And you just got a, you just got a bunch of ideas. But, but I keep a list of all those ideas that I don't finish. I may have 300 songs and out of that 300, 295 of them, I can sing the hook. Wow. Really? So, yeah, 
Now, now does does it start with lyrics and the melody, or does it start with chords? Or I mean, how does it start with you? When you say you have like a list of things, I mean, how does that list of ideas? That list could be a list of concepts. We call them. Oh, okay. And then it's a concept that somebody could say something in a in a, in a club, and you say, "Oh, wow, that's a song." And you write that concept down. You have no idea what the melody is, you know, or, or whatnot. But but I I can get a concept at a at, at the bar. I can go to the bathroom and come back. You know, would have the song finished <laughs> as, oh, okay. far as, as far as lyrics and melody, depending on how strong it is for me at that time. Mm -hmm. But I, it's definitely a gift and a blessing to be able to do stuff like that. I mean, mm -hmm. I can hear a door squeak and, and, I can, and I can put a song to that door squeaking. Wow, that is a gift. Hers, you know, so it doesn't take much for me, but but the big concepts, <clears throat> you know, you pick them up and, and they, they just, they like, whoa, like the concept that I said that I have for the dance song. I can't tell it to you because because you'll go whoa. <laughs> right, right, right. But imagine um, Freakazoid. Each song has a different story. You know, some of my I was in California mixing a record, and some of my fraternity brothers, Omega Sci Fi Fraternity Incorporated, what's up, brothers? Uh, <laughs> there you go. Came by you know our band house, the house, and and looking for me, and they were talking about this college term called Freakazoid, and uh, a couple of my road crew guys, James Blackman, Mark Abrams, and Jim White. Uh, you know, heard this conversation when I got back. James was like, Reggie, some of your brothers was back here talking about Freakazoid. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and, and wait a minute. Now, what was that again? What was it? What, where did that term come from? They, they just came by. They were just using the term Freakazoid. Oh, know, so wow. This is a, just a street term that was going uh -huh. on the college campus. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So they told me, I was like, that's a song. <laughs> whoa. So I said, we're going out in the garage right now and write this song. So that was one where the concept was so strong, I already saw the picture of, of, of where it was going mm -hmm. and that it was going to be techno funk and we were getting ready to create this new style. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have it all together. Gotcha. So I, I grabbed my brother Vincent and, and Bill Simmons. We went out to the garage, our, our practice studio. You know, I gave the guys the beat, you know, and then we began to expound upon it. And uh, Vincent came with some amazing uh, string parts and, and, uh, and Bill's vibe into it. And, uh, before okay. you know it, we had we had the groove generated by the concept of Freakazoid. I had no lyrics or anything. Uh -huh. And then from that groove, I said, okay, now I know I want to make the most spaced out melody for this song that would be so catchy that it'd be like something no one had ever heard in terms of it being, you know, this I'll uh -huh. be your Freakazoid. Come on and be up. It's like what's like, what is that? You know. <laughs> right. So totally. that's where techno funk came from. It was the idea of adding melody. To a, to a funky song that was based around computers and synthesizers. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing grew out of there. And then to, to beat that chorus, I had to beat, beat it with the, with the verse. <clears throat> uh -huh. So what kind, of, what kind of strange thing can I do to twist your ear? And what kind of story <laughs> can we tell? So then it becomes a story. Where do I get the story? You know, is it at the, uh, is it at the dance clubs? You know, down in Atlanta, everybody writes to the strip clubs. We were, we were imagining that concept way before that. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but inspiration came, you know, from, you know, how do we make a, a, a dance song that's just uh, innocent, uh, uh -huh. double entendres, uh, you know, where you take it where you want to go. And, uh, okay. So and and it was, it was successful. That was a song that knocked the doors down that, that made it all happen for Midnight Star. And then from there, it was no parking in the dance floor. And, uh, okay. And I want to talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> since, since you went there, as far as no parking on the dance floor, was that, was that pretty much like the same kind of thing? I mean, were you, were you like at a club and saw somebody standing there and you're like, no, 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 you can't. I mean, how did, how did that come about? 
uh, uh, Bobby Lovelace is one of the, the primary writers on there with, with Vincent and some of the guys. Uh, but everywhere, everywhere you go, you're looking for, for things. So you see a no parking sign, uh -huh. you know, a hundred times a day if, you, if you're uh -huh. traveling around. So, so to put no parking, wow, no parking, no parking on the dance floor. That's like, whoa. <laughs> the visual, and that's, that's what powerful songwriting is all about. Uh -huh. So big ups to that. So that's one thing I, when I talk to songwriters, I'm like, you know, what is your, what is your, what's your concept? Not only that, what is your title? A lot of writers will write a song and just name it something obscure. And that works about every now and then, <laughs> every now and now. It might even be a word in the song, they just title it something else. Uh, but if you have a strong concept and a strong title, then you're building, your building blocks become uh, much more legendary, much longer lived. Because as soon as you hear the word, you know the whole song, like you say. Uh, once you're in the parking the dashboard, you're, you're already singing it. If once you've heard it, you know, once, twice, a hundred times or whatever, you're with it. And, and, uh, and uh, Midas Touch? Midas Touch, that was uh, written by Bo Watson and, and, his, and his sister, June. And that's, uh, that's my cut. <laughs> that's your cut, yeah. So That's my cut. <laughs> Wet My Whistle was the, uh, the yeah. predecessor to, to Midas Touch. Uh -huh. You can hear the, the, the sound. Yeah, <laughs> see, you're going to be going the, now. The similar, <laughs> the similar uh -huh. things to it. So, but, uh, but, but, but once again, uh, the, the title just, just kills it. And the, the title is so big that uh, we just uh, have a new, commercial from a major, major artist coming out. Uh, I won't spoil it for people until it comes out, but using using that song and, uh, and, and reinterpolating it. So, it was uh, using which one? Uh, Midas Touch. Using, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. okay. A lot of requests for Midas Touches, a lot of sample requests for Curious, mm -hmm. uh, written by Melvin Gentry and, and uh, I can't remember all the writers, but Melvin was a primary writer on that one. Mm -hmm. So we just, uh, when we were doing the parking on the dance floor, we had already done three albums that, that didn't uh, break through, didn't break the door down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good stuff, but, but but not that one thing that just, when, when Freakazoid came out, they didn't have to promote it. It's, all you had to do was take it to a DJ at a club and put it on, because we mm -hmm. tested it against Atomic Dog. Mm -hmm. And if you can come behind Atomic Dog and keep the dance floor packed, then you uh, got something. something's, something's germinating there. Right, right, yes. <laughs> we proved yes. that. So, so that that knocked the door now for all those other songs, but but on that album, you know, we vowed to make every song on the album be a potential hit. So we mm. were very very scrutinous about uh, what we chose and the ones that didn't make it and the ones that did make it, uh, and that 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 concept then pays dividends. We have sold over two and a half million records that first outing, uh, the most wow. uh, records sold of any band that year. Outside of Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, mm. Who's our, our idols, you know? Right, so, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Something to that. Okay, okay. So, so you're doing that, and then other artists start coming knocking at the door. Hey, you know, you okay? You you write a light for you guys. We need some stuff for us. Can you do that? And you did it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one like of the first thing, one of the first things I did was uh, was the remix for uh, Radioactivity. I got radio. So I, I was a co-producer and that was my first remix ever known. Okay. I, took, I actually worked with somebody else. I was like, oh wow, okay, this is interesting. Right. Uh, and then Dick Griffey came along with the with the whole solar roster. What, what do you got for climax? What do you got for right. the whispers? Mm -hmm. Meeting in the latest room for climax. 
the whispers we did, Contagious and Some Kind of Lover. Uh, we did some stuff with uh, Shalimar, uh, with, with Dynasty, Here I Am. Mm -hmm. Began to work mm -hmm. with the rest of the solar groups and then uh, once leaving Midnight Star, my brother and I went out and, and began to really go crazy with producing other people. Oh, okay. And that's when uh, the first the first project after leaving Midnight Star was uh, Natalie Cole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, what an ironic uh, situation that was. How so? Our Midnight Star first major concert was, was playing at the Kentucky State Homecoming. Uh-huh. And we were opening for Natalie Cole. Wow. Uh-huh. Here we are, uh, close to 10 years later, now producing her. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I, so I wrote the song, uh, Jumpstart My Heart, and flew to California to meet with her and, and, uh, and her A&R rep, Jerry Griffin. Mm -hmm. And uh, to, to play the song for her the first time and to, to show her how, how it goes. I was never much for, for doing demos. Uh-huh. misleading because what, where, you, where, you, where you start now is where you end, but it takes a, an A&R person that could hear it. And in today's market, they want to hear a finished record. Exactly. And they say, exactly. oh, I like this finished record. Let's put it out. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, it was like, oh, you got a great idea. You got a great concept. Mm -hmm. Get in there and work on it. And you, now you got it. Mm -hmm. Jumpstart my heart. We, we did uh, four, four versions before we got to the version that became the record, which became a number one record. Four versions. Yeah, so, so it, took, it took digging. It wasn't like, okay, you got a great hook, you got a great concept. I said, no, you gotta have a great beat too. You gotta have a great thing to put this thing together. Right. So to get that beat right, you know, it was uh, four, different, four different versions. Nice, nice. And after that was uh, the vert. Uh, Sylvia Rome reached out and says, we have this young group you know, they sound like the OJs. In fact, they're the OJ's son. What <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. you, you got for them? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, I what did you think of that when they when they came with that? We we got the OJ sons here. I was like, no way. Right. <laughs> like, and they was like, oh, oh by the way, the uh, Bird sounds just like his father. I'm like, no, 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 no. How can somebody, how can a kid sound that old? Right, right, right. <laughs> like that right. mature, uh -huh, uh -huh. seasoned. Uh-huh. Man. And then when you heard them, oh, I, I wish I could see the look on your face when you heard them. Yes, well, I heard some of the stuff. I said, okay, okay. And uh, so I went back to my 300 list of concepts. Uh, <laughs> because uh, this poem reader told me that I had a song that I hadn't put out yet that uh, that uh, could have amazing, amazing potential. It said something you might be overlooking you haven't, looked, you haven't thought about it in a while. And, uh, and that was prior to this. Somebody put on my list. <laughs> uh -huh. I said, my list, Casanova. I'm like, oh. And I had already had the uh, the chorus for Casanova uh -huh. because I, I didn't take it seriously because I wrote it as a country western song. Oh, okay. I was I was going to ask you about that one because that concept always got me. I'm like, wow, where, used, how did you come up with that one with Casanova? We used to ride up and down the highway from between Louisville, Kentucky, and Cincinnati, Ohio, because my stepfather was a Greyhound bus driver, and we had family in Louisville and lived in Cincinnati, so. You know, you had a lot of AM radio. If you got anything, you know, your little transistor radio, whatever. Right. So I would just, you know, just sing along and rap, and I'm like, you know, I'm much on Casanova. Yeah. You uh -huh. hear a lot of country music. Me and Romeo ain't never been friends. Oh. But, uh, okay. So that's all. I, that's all I had. Only thing I, only, I probably didn't even have. Oh, Casanova. I didn't even uh -huh. have that part. Uh -huh. But uh, but I pulled that concept out, and I said. I mean, but wow. Reggie, even even that first, even that line there. 
when I first heard that, I'm like, what? I mean, such a great line, you know? I mean, you know, I am much on Casanova, me and Rev Mayo, I never, like, what? Yeah, so- I mean, uh, great writing, man. Really great <laughs> writing, really. Thank you so much. And that, that's just uh, a small example of, of your of your your talent, man. Crazy. Yeah, so then it became, okay, you know, to, to finish enough of this song so that uh, I can let the guys hear it. And uh, once again, the A&R staff was very, uh, you know, had what we call big ears. They could hear, mm -hmm. oh, not only this would be a good song, but this is a, a career builder for them because mm -hmm. it gives them an image mm -hmm. of being young Casanovas. Mm. It, gives them, it gives them something to shoot towards. Uh, of course, we finished the song, recorded, brought them into Cincinnati to put their vocals on it. And, uh, you know, to hear them in the studio, I mean, ah. first take, second take, whatever, just blew it out the box. But there was one line. Really? When you sing as great as Joe LaVert, you want to sometimes show everybody in the world how great you can sing. So that one line, Gonna sing it to you time and time again. Mm -hmm. He wanted to riff on that. Ah. Everybody in the whole world is gonna be singing. Wait a minute, say, say that part again. I just lost you again. You were saying, Gerald? That's the line that everybody in the whole world is gonna be singing. Ah. So if you riff on it, you're not teaching them how to sing that line. There you go. You've mm -hmm. just thrown away your most powerful thing that mm -hmm. you had. Mm -hmm. He's like, why? Why I got to do it again? I'm just doing it one more time, Gerald. Why? <laughs> one more time, Gerald. Okay, Gerald, straighten it out. Just, just do it straight, Gerald. <laughs> uh -huh. Wait, why can't we do it like this? Uh -huh. Oh, just sing it. <laughs> wow, he really made it an issue, huh? Yeah. Oh, oh well, you know, it's, it's an issue. When you're producing, you know, uh, that's the one thing Quincy Jones taught me. Is, you know, you cannot compromise on, on what's real. You know, producing is is uh, is not a it's not a democracy. It's mm -hmm. not you vote, you vote, you vote, and I feel this way, you feel that way. No, it's like if this is the vision, if we don't capture this vision, then we have we shouldn't even be here because we've lost everything else. It's, nice. it's that important. And the same thing with lyrics. People just write lyrics and say, "Well, I, I wrote I wrote my lyrics. I'm not changing them." I mean, where's your fifth draft? Where's your tenth draft? You mm -hmm. can't go no deeper than that. Mm -hmm. You just want to rhyme because it rhymes, or do you uh -huh. want to say something? Can you uh, say something and rhyme? Mm -hmm. You know, what, who, who are you? So, mm -hmm. so a lot of those things come into play when you're reaching for that uh, mm -hmm. excellence. But I got I got about nine more minutes left, so we better get to where you want to get to. Or before oh, oh, okay, okay. Real, real quick, I do want to if you if you don't mind, I want to touch uh, real quick about about your mom and how instrumental she was in your life. I, um, I mean, totally supportive. Um, I, I read a thing where she was not only co-manager of, of, of Midnight Star, manager of the deal, um, James Brown to a tender grand opening, her flower, her flower shop. You got a, you got a good, you got good stuff there. Hey, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, if you don't I, mind. I got, a, I got an hour to talk about my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, when I, um, she recently passed away uh, on Christmas day. I'm sorry, sorry. We lost our, her sister, our aunt, on December 30th, 2020. And mm -hmm. my aunt died of COVID. But uh, with my mother, you know, at, at her, her, her memorial, her, her home going, you know, I didn't, I didn't speak at the, the memorial because I, I, I knew I couldn't get, you know, through two words. I understand. And I often, you know, and, and I know the three, four words that I wanted to say which I can say now, 
is that to uh, to totally empower your children. You know, we have a lot of parents that go through that. Uh, you know, I want nothing, and you ain't gonna be nothing. Ah. That's why I brought that up because you said earlier, um, as far as like when you asked your mom, she's like, of course, you know, go, you know, take care exactly. of yourself here, but of course. And that's, what, that's kind of what I was going to lead to is like uh, every every step of my life, you know, came across those uh, those, those barriers, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, even parents are like, uh, go get a job, just, just, just get a job. You a know? real job. A re yeah, that's the word, a real job. You know, when you were creative and you're trying to find your path, and uh, you know, a lot of times you do have to do you have to do that, but any way possible, your your real job should be pursuing your your dreams, your your mm -hmm. career, whether it be college or whether it be interning or whether it be taking uh, a job somewhere that can advance you. Mm -hmm. But uh, but she was totally always always supportive, always making a way. You know, mm -hmm. if she had to go hungry herself to feed us, then that's what she did. Mm -hmm. And and not only of you, but I mean of those that were up and coming in 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 the neighborhood there. I mean those were in the community. She was raised up in a business kind of way, where uh, her her grandmother owned land in Louisville, Kentucky, and, and made sure all of her children, including our grandparents, had a piece of land to build their houses. And wow, that was born into my mother. She started her own business finally after many years that uh, she went back to school for floor design and opened up uh, Larson's Flower Barn, you know, mm -hmm. our family business, which, which was her flower shop. She mm -hmm. put an ice cream parlor in the back for the kids to run the ice cream parlor and for her to take wow. care of the flowers because she knew that us being that young, we need something that was ours, awesome. not just to step into her career as, as a, a floral designer. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, for our grand opening, she called James Brown up and said, uh, hey, and she got him on the phone. That's the hard she part. She called James Brown. <laughs> got him on the phone at this hotel. And hi, my brother. This is uh, your sister Gloria Larson, and I've just uh, you know opened up a new flower shop here in uh, North Avondale in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I was just wondering if you could come by and and, and be present at our grand opening. And James Brown said, "He said yes, I would love to, uh, but if you have a big crowd standing outdoors, I'm just going to drive on past. Mm -hmm. so we had to keep very very close knit with the family and a, right. a few neighbors that were really close by and." Uh, you know, that, that started it all off. By the time we were, we were playing instruments and we're sitting there looking at James Brown, you know, like you know, <laughs> her eyes bugged out. Right, right. And, uh, so many, many years later, we're now doing a concert with James Brown, this Midnight Star. Wow. And we have these eight by 10 glossies of ourselves from the flower shop, both us with James Brown. Did, really? I wrote magic, I wrote magic takes him backstage and lets wow. James Brown see him. And we never saw those pictures again. Oh. Uh <laughs> Oh, <laughs> all we have now is the Polaroids that are going, that are bubbling up and, right? <laughs> and oh. up. Yeah, oh. that's uh, that was a lesson that was, God. Right, Ooh. right, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so to that James Brown thing, like when I wanted to uh, leave high school early, my mother said, sure, you know what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Graduated early, you know, I was the top 10% of my class. Mm -hmm. uh, then that four midnight star, I said, Bob, I got this band now. I think, you know, we want to leave school and uh, pursue the career. She says, yes, that's what you should do. Go ahead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In fact, I'll come, I'll come in and, and, and help. So she nice. began to help and uh, organize the schedules, the, uh, making sure everything was taken care of, the gigs, the, you know, mm -hmm. the money, the contracts, booking gigs, and then evolved to a uh, to manager and then co-manager. So uh, 
we then uh, brought in Pablo Davis as a, another manager to, to, to round out the management team. And uh, that, that, that took the whole North Parking album to the next heights. Mm -hmm. uh, a year or two later, you know, we recognized uh, the deal who we had worked with uh, many years before and who were also from Cincinnati and as well as Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, signed a deal to Midstar Music, our production company. That was Ellie Reed and Babyface, you know, launching, launching their career, then allowing them to produce themselves after producing their first album, Body Talk, uh, which I produced with the number two record. The oh, second yeah. album they did themselves, and the third album you know, they began to blow up. And so the, the fruit, the fruit that uh -huh. falls from the trees is what it's there all about. Go. Those guys are doing amazing, amazing things. Awesome. And, uh, you know, and currently, uh, you know, I have a new single out called Sabrina, which is available on all the uh, internet access. Thank and you very much. We have uh, the Merc store is open for your merchandise. Uh, you can get a, a Sabrina t-shirt, hat, whatever you want to get. The concept of Sabrina is uh, it's a story of an African princess who meets a balladeer singer. Beautiful. Fall in awesome. love and, and then he has to leave to, to go around the world. Mm -hmm. But from this song, it evolved to say that no woman should ever be called outside her name. She should always be treated like a princess or a queen. So the so the logo is, is this beautiful uh, Aphrodite type of a uh, queen uh, aspect, which uh, you know works for for men as well as women. So go to uh, ReggieCalloway.com. Thank you. And, and find all your information about what we're doing. Uh, and um, oh, we are currently today meeting. Uh oh, I think okay. I might have more time. Let me see. Okay. Okay, I was gonna say, do, do you have a minute to talk about sound royalties? Oh, I, yeah, I, I gotta talk about sound royalties, but let me just take this. this okay. Currently, council today's meeting this. Okay, so I have more time. The meeting has been canceled. Oh, sweet. So, okay. So, so, so yeah, so we can we can slow down. Okay, here. we're only gonna be for a few more minutes anyway, so all good. Yeah. So I was telling everybody how to how to reach me at uh, reggiecalloway.com, and there you will not only find the merchandise store and all of our music that that, that Eddie's been talking about today. You can see it all there in one place, all the videos, as well as uh, learn about Sound Royalties, which is uh, my latest venture. About 10 years ago, I began to look at the finance side of the music business. Mm. How could we bridge those gaps between royalty payments? Uh, those that are receiving royalties, it could be every three months, every six months. Once now, Reggie, I, I got to ask you, first of all, you're not busy enough? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I haven't told you about the, the, the four board of directors that I sit on. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry. I didn't catch you off. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, but yeah, as far uh, as sound royalty? Yeah, so uh, that led me to look at ways to, to raise capital, not only for myself, but for other creatives, because the banks don't understand, or a lot of times creatives you know, fall into hard times because of the way the money comes in. And uh, after... Uh, to searching and developing, and I finally partnered up with the with my new partner Alex Heike at Sound Royalties, and Alex is the CEO and founder. And what we do is we specialize in making advances, royalty advances, to those that are receiving royalties, as long as you make at least thirty five hundred dollars a minimum per year in any given income stream, mm. we could possibly be able to work with you. But if you are, you know, if you're huge, we can do deals up to ten million dollars. Per deal, and that's why we've been able to work with uh, people like Little Wayne and uh, Wyclef Jean doing a, 
a major publishing uh, consortium type of deal with him. So there's lots of flexibilities of what can be done, but to unlock those funds, unlock those monies uh, without a person selling their rights. That's the key thing. When a person gets in trouble, he usually the first thing he does is sells everything. And once you sell it, it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. so, um, so we offer this advanced program to, to take care of that. And, and if you insist on selling, we have a catalog assistance program, which will, will help you make that sale but get you the greatest dollar amount by putting you with qualified buyers and preparing your presentation. So there's a lot of uh, options to, to serve your clients. But you know, so for the last seven years, we've just, just grown and grown and grown and making uh, you know, new changes every every month, so to speak, meaning that we're working with other different funders. So we don't replace the person the money's coming from. We work with them. So we work with your BMI, your ASCAP. We work with your publishing company or your record label, uh, or your, your independent distributor, CD Baby, TuneCore, DistroKey, mm -hmm. wherever the money's coming from, we work with them to help get you money faster so that you can do bigger and, and better things with it. Yes, yes, and not worry about it. Yes. Wow, wow. Where can, uh, where can we find more? Find out more about Sign World Teaser, or is there a way to reach you? Is there a website where we can? Yes, when you, when you go to my website, ReggieCalloway.com. Drop down under the about and you'll see Sound Royalties. Click on that, it'll take you there. Or you can go directly to uh, SoundRoyalties.com as well. Gotcha. So okay. either, either way, if you come through my site, then, then I know you're there. I can personally, personally help you. I'm the director of Music Royalty Funding and uh, I'm happy to, to walk everybody through the process to make it easy. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you what's next as if... <laughs> Because, like I said, I mean, man, you talk about busy. I mean, what the what's what's coming, what's 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 coming from Reggie Calloway? What's what's on we the have, we, have, we have the two sides. We have the music side and, and the uh, and the business side. I'll take the business side first, since we're kind of there. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the biggest things is to continue to educate you know, all of our creators about their income streams, where the money's coming from, how to access it. All these the new changes that are coming along in the in the industry with the uh, Music Modernization Act has already birthed the uh, Music Licensing Collective, which is now collecting money for all uh, songwriters and publishers for mechanical royalties from digital airplay from the U.S. and and uh, branching out to around the world. So it's a, a blanket license where you can start getting the real money. And then someone to fight for us to, to, to raise that money. Uh, so that's that's amazing. But there's so many different income streams that artists aren't aware of. We're making them aware of those on a, on a daily basis. In fact, at Sound Royalties, we have a 50 income streams listed mm. that you can download off the site for mm -hmm. free. Mm -hmm. so, so definitely jump into that. So education, uh, also finding the uses for all this music, you know, building the music libraries. Music library is a place where thousands and thousands of songs can be stored that can be made available to TV, film, commercials. You know, so it's, it's a sync production library that uh, you, you write a, every song doesn't have to be a hit, but every song has a home. It could be on a TV commercial, it could be inside of a movie. Nice. So we want to make that access available to more people because a lot mm -hmm. of people are being locked, locked out of that. Uh, so that's, that's incredible. I like what you just said. Every song doesn't have to be a hit, but every song does have has a home. 
that's that i like that too <laughs> yeah right you see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right make a, make a note right right definitely right you say in my books i try to capture you know a lot of, a lot of that those things but when you say it like you say just so so perfectly you don't have to elaborate mm -hmm, <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. for itself then on, on the music side is we, we're in this independent uh, music market where you can basically put out as much music as you want to put out and uh, a lot of those same songs we talked about that find a home in a tv commercial can become a hit later mm -hmm. because the commercial is playing it over and over right. and over again exactly. now the audience is hearing it and they say where did i hear that song if you uh if you own that song or, or a piece of that song then that's more revenue coming in for you down the line. So for us to continue to create new music that uh, that we can control and license and uh, and make it available for people and just staying on top of uh, of how music touches and changes the world. I don't know if you caught the Marvin Gaye special, but uh, on CNN the other night, they're playing it over again, but it was talking about the song, What's Going On and that whole album and the impact 50 years later Mm. So to have those type of iconic songs mm -hmm. is, is, is what it's all about. And it's nothing that you can really plan on. It uh, it just happens. But if you don't put the music out there, then never has a chance to, to catch on to that. So being an eternal songwriter, continue to write and uh, you know, eventually uh, get back on to perform again as the, as the world clears up and just uh, keep expressing it and, and then keep finding a way for, for young talent to to reach their goals, you know, assist them with, with connections and at not only just education, but actually point them in the right direction and help them with their deals and, uh, and get them signed to, uh, to reputable situations and, and keep this music business alive. It's, it's a very uh, priceless, underpaid resource, but it has so much power and so much meaning. You know? So as we continue to, to get the, uh, the pay to be more equitable, you know, we want to continue to make the music because you, you can't you can't hold one back for the other. Let it flow. <clears throat> Let it flow, Reggie, <laughs> my man. Let's uh, we'll close there. The perfect, great, great ending. Uh, first of all, it was quite an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to to be here, and of course, sharing that vast knowledge of yours. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, again, we can find out everything that Reggie's doing by going to his website, ReggieCalloway.com. And Reggie, again, thank you so much for being on the playground where the players play. Where the players play. <laughs>